Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I'm here with my colleague Nathan Lear. Our objective is to improve financial literacy and awareness. Uh, we're proudly brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth, who's one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. This week's episode is understanding your superannuation fund. We're just going to work through a number of the different options with superannuation and hopefully give you a, an understanding as to what sorts of things you should be looking for. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Welcome everybody to today's podcast. Uh, as we've said throughout our, our earlier podcasts, one of our key objectives is to improve the financial literacy uh, and just educate uh, our listeners. Uh, so one one thing we want to talk about today is about well, superannuation. So everybody has in Australia, everybody that works um, and, and earns earns income will, will effectively have have superannuation benefits. Um, for many many people, superannuation is one of their their biggest assets. Probably most most commonly second to the the family home. So. We thought it'd be a good discussion to have mainly around the reason that a lot of people don't necessarily place a lot of emphasis on their superannuation. Would you tend to agree, Glenn? Yeah, I think that, I mean, as we've spoken about before, the various stages in life where you start working, you move through your career and superannuation or retirement in general seems a bit of a distant or distant into the future. Um, so, so I think you know people tend to not prioritise setting aside funds for their retirement, or even have a great focus on superannuation. They're tending to more so focus on whether it's saving a deposit for a home or repaying debt, uh, meeting other sort of shorter term objectives. So, in some ways, it's probably unfortunate, but realistic in a lot of ways that people tend not to start focusing on mm. superannuation or paying a lot of attention to it until probably midlife, later later in life, as they're perhaps not getting close to retirement, but I suppose once they've repaid their mortgage and their kids are probably um, becoming financially independent in their own right. Definitely. Um, I think, yeah, it's so far away for a lot of people, it's not, it's not high on the priority list, unfortunately. So before we delve into super in a bit of detail, uh, we thought we'd just go back and, and have a quick recap on its short history. Um, so superannuation was introduced in the effectively the early early 90s not 1991 um, and the primary driver for that was to reduce the the burden on the government with a with an aging population effectively so we could have more Australians self-funding their retirements so effectively at the moment the uh, the, the rate uh, for superannuation contributions is 9.5 percent of your salary uh, and that is effectively increasing up to 12% after 2021. So obviously, whatever you earn um, you know, at the moment, just under 10% of that will go to your superannuation fund to provide for your retirement and effectively is preserved until you reach your uh, what's called preservation age, which for most people will be 60 years of age. I suppose the, the, the question there is, will that level of contributions, if you are just relying on what, your employers contributing on your behalf, whether that will be enough. Um, I, I, I did read recently that, obviously, as you said, Nathan, superannuations in Australia has only been compulsory since the early 1990s, and apparently it reaches maturity in 2030, which is which is effectively the time at which people who are retiring at that point 
have had superannuation contributions throughout their whole lives. So it is a fairly young system. Like, I mean, people who are retiring today may not have had the benefit of superannuation throughout their whole working career. And and on top of that, haven't had the benefit of higher contributions into superannuation. So as you were saying, it's 9.5 at the moment. It has been less than that in the past and it won't get till in excess of 12% for a few years. So I suppose for a lot of people, the question is how much should they be putting into superannuation throughout their working lives? And it's probably a, a bit of an open question, isn't it? Mm. I think that's where a lot of people could benefit from from working with yeah, a professional, an advisor to understand how much they need to put in, you know, do a bit of modelling. Obviously, you've got to make some some uh, assumptions on, on returns and, and whatnot to try and work out how much they need. Because, look, a lot of the studies do show that, yeah, that it's not enough. The, the 9.5, even 12% is not enough. So uh, people may need to make uh, voluntary contributions over and above the minimum uh, to try and get there. And just the last the last point I was going to make before about superannuation, it is, it is taxed at a... Uh, a concessional rate of 15%. So uh, obviously that's when contributions go in. Um, the government will take a 15% clip, which uh, could be, for a lot of people, could be less than what their marginal tax rates are, which at the top end is you know, 47% plus Medicare. So um, it, is, it is tax effective as well, which is a, another benefit of the system. I think that's also a really good point in that um, superannuation isn't an investment as such. I mean, you know... With, with uh, media coverage and, and ads that we see on TV, I, I think there is a bit of a perception out there that people look at superannuation as a prop because when we read about performance, it's sort of one headline figure that's given, isn't there? Whereas we know, that, as you were saying with regards to the tax rate, all superannuation is, it's effectively a trust or, or a tax structure um, that has specific rules and regulations essentially to provide for your retirement. Um, and it's just a matter of, understanding the benefits of that structure and then looking at the various alternatives which, which i'm sure we'll be talking about today but as i said don't look at superannuation as an investment and just because the particular investment option that you selected is underperformed um, i sort of hate to see people being put off superannuation just because you know in a particular year the the option that they've, they've selected is underperformed um, because there are significant tax benefits in using that superannuation structure to provide for your retirement. As you were saying, the 15% maximum tax on earnings while you, during your working life and the potential to have no tax on, on the earnings when you retire. So it, it is a very attractive structure. There's no doubt about that. So in terms of the, the types of superannuation funds in Australia, we'll go through the, the, the main ones, just a quick summary of, of what they are for people that maybe don't have a, a great awareness of that. So... In industry funds are probably uh, gain a lot of publicity. They they advertise on the television. Um, generally, industry well, industry funds are not profo- not for profit, so they I guess they tout themselves as um, you know doing everything they can for their members. And lower cost is probably their main sort of uh, benefit that they that they that they promote. Yeah. yeah, I guess I guess being not profo- not for profit compared to. Their counterparts that are trying to make a profit, they could hopefully keep their fees lower. So um, they they keep their fees down. They, I guess, they'd have somewhat limited investment options. They've probably gotten better at that. I mean, when you look at the various industry funds, that I mean, there's some industry funds now that that enable you to buy direct equities. Um, so that they do have various options. But but I think that you know, once again, getting back to perceptions, a lot of people think that 
the industry funds don't cost anything. You know, they have a member fee, which is a, a nominal dollar amount each month. Um, and I suppose what we'd be encouraging people to do is to really delve a little bit deeper, just so you fully understand what the costs are, because they can vary from one industry fund to the next. Um, and your, your sort of thought may be that industry funds are a lot cheaper perhaps than their counterparts, but they may not be. It just really depends on which investment option you select and also which industry fund you're using. I think one, one of the key messages we want to promote today is to understand what you're paying and that might involve a little bit of work because you are right. Um, I mean, industry funds, yes, they may, they may add benefits, um, but they also charge for it. And um, I would encourage anybody to, to firstly understand where their superannuation is invested and then you know, do a bit of research, look online and, and it, you know, even maybe dig into the, um, the detail to find out the exact fees. So just maybe we'll quickly bring up Australian Super because Australian Super is the biggest industry fund in Australia and we were just looking up their, their fees for their, their balanced option, which is effectively you know, their default option. Um, and on an, on an annual, well, firstly, they have a, um, an administration fee, which is a $1.50 a week. Um, but their investment fee for the balanced option um, is effectively 0.75% per annum. So, you know, that's, that is what it is, um, I suppose. But just if you are making a decision, you'd want to compare that against maybe what the alternatives are. And also the performance as well. I mean, we're sort of looking at the underlying cost. But like anything you buy in life, it's not cheap isn't necessarily good. Um, and look, a lot of the industry funds, the performance has been quite good compared to the, perhaps their counterparts. But I suppose what you'd want to be looking at is net performance over a long period of time. And, and you know, we, we've said numerous times that historical performance isn't necessarily a good measure for future performance. But I suppose just to reiterate, it's just important to really understand um, what the total cost is. It's not just the member fee. There are investment management costs. There's no free lunch even with industry funds. Yeah, yeah. So I think the key message is under, understand what you're paying, um, but also at the same time, you know, look at look at your return because you, you probably don't mind paying a little bit more if the return's been good. So that's a that's definitely a, an important thing to consider in terms of what what you're paying. Um, so in terms of industry funds, I think that would probably cover the the key characteristics of them. They're they're they're, they're low cost. Usually the investment options are, are simpler, but they have evolved over time. I suppose the other ben- the other benefit um, with industry funds is potentially lower cost insurance as well. I know we're going to talk about that a, a little bit later, but um, given the group cover that they do provide, quite often you can get quite cost effective life insurance, disability um, insurance. But once again, this all has to be tailored to the individual because depending on what your situation is, depending if you've got a medical condition, that may not be the best option for you. So. Um, but you're right, Nathan. I mean, I think they're, they're sort of the key characteristics generally is that they're lower cost. Um, they, they do now have a number of varying investment options and also the benefit of that insurance. Mm. So moving on to the, I guess, the one of the next major categories is, is retail superannuation funds. So uh, when I think of a retail superannuation fund, I think of, uh, uh, for example, the banks um, and maybe other financial institutions like AMPs of the world, Macquarie, um, MLC, the, these type of companies where they have various retail super fund offerings. Um, generally, the investment choice on these funds will be a lot more vast. There'll be a lot more options. You might be able to have more control in terms of what investments you go into. 
Uh, also, probably cost is probably a little bit more up the curve for that reason. There's a little, there's a few more options. Would you would you say there the couple of the key yeah, points? Look, I, I think also, you know, quite often with those what we'd call the retail type superannuation fund, um, if they're being provided by an advisor who's providing advice to you as a result of that increased fee, it's important to take that into account as well because, um, yes, you know, industry funds are moving towards providing advice, but, I mean, from a lot of the, the research that I've, that I've heard with regards to the, you know, the infrastructure that's in place with a lot of the industry funds, I mean, we mentioned Australian Super before, let's just say they've got a million members. Now, I would question whether they've got the capability to provide, you know, tailored financial advice um for all of their members so i think that with the retail funds if the cost is higher but it's higher because you are actually getting you know hands-on bespoke tailored financial advice it's important to take that into account as well because you do get what you pay for Mm. Um, and that's not to say that industry funds aren't beneficial because we've had situations where we've actually recommended them to clients um in, in the right sort of situation but I think if the fees for the retail funds are higher, I think it's just important to understand why they're higher, whether it's you know greater investment choice, uh, whether it's better performance, or if it's because you're getting um, the services of an advisor. You've got to, I think you've got to package all those things up before you make that comparison and not just look at what you're paying. It's what you're also getting in return for that. Definitely. It's a, if, if you work with an advisor and you're getting that added value of strategic advice, uh, definitely has to be considered or factored into the uh, the overall value yeah, cause it, proposition. It, it, exactly, because it, it may be it may be that the investment returns are the same, and you might think, "Oh, I'm paying more." But there's also non quantifiable benefits that you might get from an advisor as well. So it, it's or, just or things like tax savings. Yeah, tax savings. Yeah. If, if you're working with an advisor with a, a long-term wealth accumulation strategy or, or retirement plan, um, th- there's value that's outside of the investment return that you're potentially getting as well. Moving on, probably the, well, the biggest segment of the superannuation market now in Australia is self-managed superannuation funds. So they've, I guess, exploded in popularity over the last you know, 10 years or so. Um, I guess the main, the main benefit of a, we always talk about with clients of a self-managed superannuation fund is the uh, increased control and flexibility. Uh, you know, you can effectively invest in a lot of things that you can't do with the uh, industry or the retail funds, for example, uh, you know, direct property, um, and a lot, and, and and several other types of investments. You know, whether it's a, you know, even going into things like like artwork, for example. Yeah, um, I think within the rules that there's almost unrestricted, unlimited access to vi- any investment option. As I said, so long as it's within the rules and regulations surrounding super. So, as you said, that's probably one of the major benefits, no doubt. And also, probably the strategic benefits as well. You can um, do certain things that you know that you couldn't do with with other funds and and what i mean by that is um you know the ability to contribute like just one example could contribute um you know a direct a parcel of shares that you might already own or a business property like if you're operating a business and you've got a commercial property or a factory there's the capacity to potentially contribute that into superannuation so you're right i mean there's just there's a lot more flexibility and the ability to tailor the strategy specific to your situation which is just not possible through whether it's a retail fund or an industry fund that are basically managing their assets for, you know, if not millions of people. Mm. It's just impossible for them to do that, you know, or, or construct a bespoke solution 
for all of their members. Sure. Obviously, the trade-off for that control and flexibility is cost. Uh, there is there is cost to set up. It's a, effectively it's its own trust, um, and you may want to appoint a corporate trustee as well. So there there's cost to set up, and there's also ongoing uh, compliance cost as well. And what what would be our? I mean, we we sort of we we do work in this space, and it is an area that we tend to specialize in in, in the self-managed space. And would we be saying at the moment? That you'd probably need a, a balance of around three hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand to make it cost effective. I think that's somewhere in the ballpark, but yeah. I, I do think it's horses for courses. Yeah, um, and it depends on how much might be coming in in future years. You know how much the fees are. Yeah, what, what your accountant's charging. Yeah, if you, if you know if you if you have if you don't have an advisor or if you have an advisor, what what they're charging you that can impact it. So. Yeah, look, I think that's generally not a bad level to kind of start at, but I, I would say, yeah, that I think it's horses for courses. I think the other thing on top of cost is is, is just the compliance obligations as well hmm. because if you are, well, whether you're employing the services of an advisor or you're doing it yourself, um, superannuation is very tightly regulated. So you do need to understand what your obligations are as a trustee of a self-managed fund. Um, I mean, and, and there is information provided by the tax office um, which outlines what those obligations are. But it is something I think to be aware of because if you do things that are um, are not legal or outside of the rules and regulations, the, the penalties can be quite significant. Yeah, that's right. You have to be really careful. Effectively, you can, at the most severe end, you can you can lose effectively half the value of your fund in tax, can't you, if you That's do right, something yeah. wrong? So, yeah, you'd want to be really careful. Um, you know, even things like when you have a self-managed fund, you, you effectively control the bank account. And if you, you know, with inadvertently withdrew money and, and, and take it out of that superannuation environment, uh, you know, that you can, you can land yourself in trouble. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt that if you do go down that path and, and you feel as though it's, where it's the right time or you think it's the, the right structure to, for you to use because you want that greater control, transparency, knowing where your money is invested, um, you do need some guidance, whether it's an advisor or an accountant, just sort of helping you work your way, way through the rules and regulations because you have to, have to get a tax return done, has to be audited. So there are a number of things you just need to be aware of. And even things like you know, if you do reach your preservation age and, and, and want to start a, uh, a retire perhaps and want to start a pension, um, you know, you can't rely on somebody like an industry fund or something to, to commence that pension for you. You've, you've, you've got to go out and, and start that pension yourself or you know, seek advice for someone to help you do that. So there is definitely, yeah, a lot more to consider with self-managed funds. Yeah, I think the other thing to add is that, as, as we were saying earlier, just with regards to cost, just because something's more expensive doesn't mean that you shouldn't consider it because... There's so many other things that you need to take into account. Uh, you know, it's, it's any product or any service that you're obtaining. Um, cost is one consideration. But if you're working with a, uh, if, you, if you've got a self-managed superannuation fund um, and it's a bespoke solution specific to you, then I think in some ways you have to expect that it will be more expensive than a, perhaps an industry fund that's being tailored to you know, a million different people. So they're completely different. Um, approaches in a lot of ways, I think. 
So we've spoken so far about the three uh, the three types of funds: industry funds, retail super funds, and self managed superannuation funds. Just to tidy off a couple of other little ones, uh, or when I say little ones, um, public sector funds, or, you know, generally for government employees, is another another segment. Um, and 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 the last one I'd say is corporate super funds, where an employer may set up a, an arrangement for for their employees. I'd say they're the the five major uh, types of superannuation funds. And Glenn, how would you overall, how would you rate our superannuation system? Do you think it stacks up pretty well? Well, I think it does. I mean, we, we keep hearing whether it's, you know, us publicizing it or not, but you keep hearing that Australia is sort of leading the world with, with its superannuation system. I mean, it, we, we've sort of moved from, I mean, you, you mentioned there about the government superannuation schemes and a lot of the company-backed superannuation schemes that were historically what's called like a defined benefit scheme which the way that that differs is that it's effectively a multiple of your salary so investment returns don't necessarily impact the end amount that you get but i mean now the australian system's really moved to a more of a self-funded type system obviously where you've got an amount of money going into super each year um so look i I think it is sort of leading edge in in that respect but um i think the biggest issue that we've had with superannuation I mean, as you were saying earlier, that perhaps the levels of contributions aren't enough, um, but can, should we and can we rely on employers to you know, keep increasing the amount of superannuation that, that does go in or should there be a requirement for people to make contributions themselves? Um, how much should they be contributing in order to accumulate sufficient assets to provide for their retirement? Um, but but the, other, the other comment I'd make in relation to super that hasn't been overly helpful is, you know, the significant change over the last 10 years it's just i think that's just eroded a lot of confidence in the system and people are probably reluctant to focus too heavily on it earlier in their careers because they're just thinking well look i've got 30 years before i can access it who's to say that the government won't change the rules and i won't be able to access it at all um so i think if there was a little bit of stability that people would get more confidence um and on top of that the government's also reduced the amount that can go into superannuation so in, in, on one hand, they're saying, you know, we want everyone to self-fund because with an aging population, the government just won't be able to fund all the social security needs. But on the other hand, they're saying, well, you know, instead of putting 50000 a year, we'll let, we're only going to let you put 25000 a year. So, it, it's yeah, I think there's just a lot of confusion and, and mixed messages there. Yeah, that, that last point is definitely something that I, I find clients have trouble understanding. You know, the government want, want me to support myself in retirement and you know, put as much as I can to super, but then at the same time they're you know, they're restricting how much I can salary sacrifice or, or put in as after tax or non concessional contributions. And you know, we've spoken before that that governments uh, unfortunately have to be short term or budget the budgets are and some of the decisions they make are, are short term. Um, so I think that's the the issue there, isn't it? Um, it's a it's a balancing act for the government. They want people to have enough to to fund their retirement, but they they need a balance their budgets as well don't they yeah but, and yeah. also i think that you know as advisors we, we know how beneficial it can be to, to start early you know just through the power of compounding returns the earlier you start the better off you'll be longer term but you know, with with the property market as it has been for the last 10 years i mean a lot of younger people they've got quite high mortgages trying to speak to people at that level about setting aside funds that they won't be able to access for 30 years it's a tough task you know, if, they, if they've got debt, I mean, perhaps the priority is repaying that. So I think there's a lot of other challenges that run alongside superannuation 
that makes it difficult to just say, well, you know, when you're 20, you should start putting 15% of your salary into superannuation because for a lot of people, it's just not possible with the higher cost of living and, um, and higher debt levels because of the rising property market. It is very difficult. So I think there needs to be more flexibility where perhaps, I know in the past, you know, once people reach 50, they could contribute almost double what, what they normally could into superannuation. And I think that worked really well because for a lot of people, um, you know, they don't have the capacity to really start maximizing their contribution to super until they've repaid debt and their children are financially independent. So I think there's a lot of challenges there that people need to um, work with. So pe- people in that last example you just said, people could be in their early 50s by the time they've you know, got the kids through school and paid off debt and that only leaves them perhaps with a short you know, window, let's say 10 years or so to, to, to really focus on superannuation and, and, and that might not give them enough time with, uh, with contribution caps, how much you can put in to uh, you know, get in as much as they need. So you, know, you did hit the nail on the head before. It is, it is so difficult for people because they might not be able to, to put those contributions in earlier, but they probably do have to. So you know, hopefully people can get in as much as they can. And if they can't, I guess you need to uh, manage your wealth in a, in, across other structures perhaps and have you know, a chunk in superannuation and maybe a chunk outside. Yeah, but, and I think also that one of our messages is that although you, know, you may not have capacity to increase what you're contributing to superannuation, it still shouldn't be something that's you know, sitting in the background because there's, yeah. there's a number of things that you should still be looking at to make sure that you, you've ticked all the boxes. Mm. So it's still... Yes, it might be happening in the background, but you know that it's um, you've got all the things ticked off off that, that ticked off on that should be. So yeah, so in, in expanding on that point, in order for people to take control of their superannuation and and not not forget about it, um, I think we'll just hone in on a couple of things that people can consider or should look into. And look, we've spoken throughout this podcast so far. Already spoken on spoken about most of these things. But we'll just touch on them maybe in a little bit more detail. So um, we'll start with maybe, well, firstly, I think understanding where your super is. You'd be, I'd, I'd, I am surprised that of the amount of people I see that don't know the name of their super fund. So as silly as it sounds, you know, you, you probably get an annual statement. If you, if you don't pay much attention to it, you probably get an annual statement. So I'd say the first step is understand what fund you're in. The next thing I'd say is understand the the way it's invested. So have a look at the the investment option, perhaps. Um, you know, consider if you want to change that. You, you may perhaps want to change that to meet your stage of life or your your attitudes towards investing. I think there are a couple of um, initial things, and I look, think just with the investment option, um, one comment I'll be making is to not tinker with it too much. You know, look at the investment option, pick one or get some advice as to what the most appropriate one for you is. I mean, if you're, if you're a younger person, perhaps a longer-term approach you know, with, with a greater exposure to growth-type assets may be more appropriate. If not, maybe a more conservative option. But I think the worst thing that anyone can be doing, you know, doesn't matter what stage of life you're at, is tinkering with your um, investment strategy too much. And we've seen that far too often where people are chasing past years' returns and more often than not get that wrong. Um, I mean, if you really want to benefit from the power of compounding returns, I think the best thing you can do is just pick an investment option that, that's appropriate for you and, and don't tinker with it too much. I think people yeah. you know, try to time markets too frequently. I think if, it, you know, if it's an re- industry fund investment option, but yeah, if it's a self-managed fund investment strategy, we'd, we'd definitely say the same thing, wouldn't we? No, no matter what type of fund it's in, 
um, you know, have a have a long term strategy and 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 stick to it. Yeah, I mean, no, no, even the most astute investment managers can't consistently pick the best time to be entering and exiting different asset classes. I think a you know perhaps a diversified approach, but as we we're saying. You know, stick to the strategy and don't try and tinker with it too much because you're probably going to do more damage than, than good um, switching from one option to the next. And more often than not, you'll get your timing wrong anyway. So, so leading on from, from the investment decisions of your fund, uh, I, I guess performance would, would, would lead on from that. So understand what your performance has been. If you are making an assessment of your fund, I, I'd consider the performance I don't think performance is the be-all and end-all, and as we always say, there's no, uh, you know, future guarantee. Previous performance will be will be replicated. It could obviously change depending on, you know, how 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 the guys or how the fund is managed. So I think performance. Understand your performance. Yeah, you don't want to be in an underperforming, um, you know, fund. No, I mean, as you were saying, it's not the be-all and end-all. But if 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 they're around about you know their peers, then you you you'd probably say stay. But if they're way off the mark, I think that's what we're saying in that you want to have some level of confidence that they know what they're doing and they know how to manage assets. And we'd probably expand on that and say, you know, long-term performance because we all know in the short term, um, markets can be irrational and things can happen where I think if you're going to judge the performance of a, a manager, we, we definitely say think long-term. And when we say long-term, we're talking five years plus, aren't we? Absolutely. Mm. Um, fees obviously we've spoken about so we don't, don't necessarily think we need to speak too much more about that but just just understand the fees understand the different layers of fees don't just believe what you hear um, sometimes people can be clever with how they communicate things so uh, I'd always encourage people to kind of dig a bit deeper to understand the fees that, that, that they're paying the fees in the service um, so a couple a couple of other things where look Glenn you touched on insurance earlier um, but you know, superannuation is a it can be a cost effective place to hold insurance yeah look it is but i suppose there are other things to take into account when you're looking at having insurance through superannuation because it can be and when we think about insurance we're thinking generally about younger people who have a greater need for insurance so they might have dependents they might have a mortgage and therefore they might need some life insurance disability insurance and even income protection um, and I know that we see quite often that the um, attraction for superannuation can be that the premiums applicable to the insurance aren't affecting their day-to-day cash flow. So it's, you know, it can be a lot easier for people to use superannuation to fund their insurance premiums, but there are some factors that, that need to be taken into account, aren't there, you know, when, when you're looking at having insurance through super. Would you make any comments around particular types of insurances to have inside super or, or outside super? Well, look, my view would be that I think life insurance is pretty transparent. There's no gray area with, with, with life. Um, so generally, um, when we're looking at life insurance, superannuation is appropriate to have that. I mean, from a tax perspective, the, um, the premiums are deductible to the fund and if, if the member does pass away, you know, there's no, as I said, there's no gray area. Um, my only issue with using superannuation would probably be with disability cover um, and this doesn't happen all the time but more often than not the type of policy that you can get within superannuation for disability insurance is what's called an any occupation level of coverage which basically means that in, for the policy to be paid out you have to be disabled to the extent that you can't do anything. So you may not be able to do your job 
But if you can work in a supermarket and stack shelves, then that won't qualify as disability under any occupation. So it is a lower grade policy. And yes, it is cheaper, but it's cheaper for a reason. So quite often with a disability um, type of insurance, it can be better to have that outside of superannuation under what's called an own occupation policy, which means that you're covered to the extent that you can't do the job that you're qualified in. So once again, a higher quality policy, um, but does mean that you may have to pay the premiums personally. Um, and it's the same with income protection. I mean, quite often... Just before you say income protection, I think just to uh, clarify, with disability insurance, it can get it can effectively get trapped into super. If you, yeah, there's a lot of if, other implications as well, isn't it, there? Yeah, if you have a, a disability um, event occur and, and you think you're entitled for a payment and they, the insurer might pay out on that but you might not meet the superannuation definition to gain That's access right. to that That's a really good point. to that to that money and you might be too young to access your superannuation so you can effectively have a situation where you get an insurance claim paid out and it's locked in superannuation. Yeah, I mean there's just so many things to be aware of and I was just going to say with regards to income protection, you know, we'll speak to people and they say oh well I've got that through my super fund and when you dig a little bit deeper, what a lot of people don't understand is that quite often the income protection provided through super, um, generally what called salary continuance, only pays for two years. So what happens after then? So we, we've said this a few times today, but I think it's just really important to understand not only how much insurance you've got, because that's one thing, but what types of insurance and what conditions have to be satisfied in order for that insurance to be paid out. Yeah, definitely with the income protection insurance, I find a lot of clients that, uh, or anyone I speak to, they say, yeah, I've got income protection insurance and, and yeah, Quite often, it's only a two-year benefit period, so that's not going to help. You know, if you're young and have a have a, a serious condition or illness, um, after those two years are up, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, and also, just on income protection insurance, um, having having it outside can also be beneficial with the the deductibility on the premiums. I think you touched on that earlier, but um, often your marginal tax rate might be a lot higher than than the 15% superannuation tax rate. So yeah, that can can often be a tax incentive as well. Obviously, it has the cash flow impact. Like you said earlier, you you need to effectively come up with the cash. But um, I know, and sometimes you can blend your insurance uh, inside and outside of super. So you might have part of it inside, part of it outside to give you the the optimal um, level of cover and probably the last thing to consider with your superannuation fund is just your your death benefit nominations um, I think a lot of people uh, may not consider this they may they may not elect a, um, a, a, a binding death benefit nomination do you, do you come across that much yeah I think the other thing that a lot of people don't understand in particular with industry funds and retail funds is that they don't understand that a lot of the nominations that they perhaps have made aren't binding nominations, which basically means that it's actually the trustees of these funds that have ultimate discretion as to where your superannuation benefits are paid upon your death. So that that's normally a non-binding nomination. That's what most people would have. Um, the alternative is to have a binding nomination where you make a specific nomination within your superannuation fund so long as it's available through the industry fund or retail fund that you've got um, and then the trustees are bound by that. And superannuation is a what's called a non-estate asset. So it's not dealt with via your will on death, which a lot of people think it is. So if you die, your nomination effectively will direct where your superannuation goes. And another thing that you can do, which we'll often talk about with clients, is nominate your, your estate or your legal personal representative as your nomination. 
So what that effectively means is on death, your superannuation benefits will um, be dealt with uh, according to your estate. So it can just that can be another way to do well, it. Well, there are really only two options, aren't there, with your super? You can only have it paid to your your, your legal representative being your estate or a dependent. So you mm. can't nominate, you know, your next door neighbour or parents or parents mm. exactly to re- to receive the benefits direct from your superannuation fund because if they're not dependents, then the fund won't pay it out. All right, Glenn, well, let's, uh, I think we'll wrap that up. So I think it's been a good, good discussion today about, about superannuation. Hopefully, this has given you a little bit of knowledge in terms of you know, reviewing your current arrangements and you know, taking greater control over your, you know, your finances. Superannuation is such an such a, uh, integral part of people's wealth, especially as you get nearer to that you know, retirement age. Um, so we had a, a discussion around you know, the origins of superannuation, um, discussed the, the different types of superannuation funds out there, um, and some of the uh, things to consider when looking at your superannuation fund. So we uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to having you next time. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's podcast. Please remember to check out Hewison Private Wealth by either Googling Hewison Private Wealth or visiting our website at www.hewison.com.au. Please also search the various social media platforms, um, being Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, We'd also really appreciate if you send through any thoughts to our email address, which is moneymentors at hewison.com.au. And also would greatly appreciate if you reviewed and rated our podcast on iTunes. Um, Until next time, we look forward to speaking to you all then.